0: So as you saw from the video, there's a revival that has uh, broken out at uh, Asbury College. And uh, thousands of people have flocked there over the last few weeks. And uh, actually the school just announced yesterday that they'll be ending the services this upcoming Friday. And they're going to to complete the revival and get the school back to normal. And uh, Christian leaders have responded on their thoughts on that. not our choice to make, amen. And uh, what's been so interesting, if you follow on social media and you you know keep following this stuff, there have been Christian leaders from around the world who've begun responding uh, to this outpouring. Now, I talked to you before. There's actually a big difference when you say the word revival and an out or an outpouring. So really, what's happening here is an outpouring and not a revival, because a revival is when the lost come. It, it's a revival of God bringing dead things to life. An outpouring is when those who already are saved or believers in Jesus Christ get a fresh renewal, if you will. So the basis that this is at a Christian college and the basis that the church is flocking there, I would more categorize this as an outpouring. Everybody with me? But for the sake of the title that they chose, we're just going to keep calling it a revival today. But one of the things that's so interesting to me is when you're watching on social media, the many people back and forth of whether this is a God thing or not God thing. And, uh, you know, some charismatics say, well, this is a conservative school. They're not even a spirit filled college. So obviously it can't be a God thing because we're the charismatics and we have rights to that. Okay. (laughs) Um, You know, when God wants to do something, he's just going to do it, regardless of the title of it. And uh, really, it should be a wake-up call to the charismatics of saying, well, the fact that he had to go choose a conservative school to do it should say something about where the church is at large. But that's not what I'm preaching about today. What I want to say is the fastest way to kill a revival or a move of the Spirit is when we start to compare it with what we think it should be or we think it should look like or what we think God should do. Come on, God can't be put into a box and he refuses to be put into a box. So we have to be careful to say, well, you know, it shouldn't be this way and they shouldn't do that thing. We just gotta let God be God, amen? But regardless of your opinion on it, regardless of the church's opinion on it, people's lives are being changed, transformed and touched. And that's incredible. I thought it was so cool this way this week as I'm just scrolling on social media, and obviously the Christian sites have been reporting on it, but when I see CNN News, NBC News, Fox News, all reporting on this revival that's happening in the church, it's almost like a breath of fresh air to see them being forced to post what God's doing on the earth. I think that's just, just great. But again, It's sad that while the world is watching a revival take place, the world is also watching the church fighting over its legitimacy. So we have to be careful. Revival is when God just says, I'm going to be God, amen. Amidst the reports, and we've talked about this in church recently, of the decline of the American church, the ex-evangelical movement. Uh, again, a new study that came in that said young people are, are leaving the church at large in, in droves. And it, on the natural side, it looks like a bleak report for Christianity in America. Right? Report after report after report. When you start to see something like this, it shows you that there is hope yeah. for what God wants to do. Because he'll take a conservative college in the middle of Kentucky and just say, I'm going to just touch here and pour out my spirit and the whole world will watch what's going on. And I think it's interesting that he chose to do it with the young people and out of college. And most revivals that break out are begun at a college somewhere. So we have to remember that our focus and our push and our prayers need to be focused in on the next generation because that's where God's heart is beating the most. Amen? So I just love that though the reports say young people are leaving, though the reports say all this, they ain't got nothing on God. Amen? Rod Parsley, who's My pastor uh, spoke on this this week and he said, you know what this says to him is that there are cracks in the wall. And I love that. It's not the fool because the Bible prophesies that there will be a great revival. There will be a great falling away, but there will be a great revival in the last days. And these are just cracks in the wall of what God wants to do. Amen. So what I want to talk to us about today is how we should, as a local church and a local faith community how we should respond to things like this because i believe we will see it more and more and more and and what does it mean for us so two things i want to point out so if you're taking notes just take it with me i'm probably going to offend half of you or if not all of you and that's okay i just knew that going into this today so just get ready okay all right so the first thing i want to point out is what they are experiencing we experience already as a spirit-filled community. I'm going to say that. We experience already as a spirit-filled community. Can I just say this to you? God's heart isn't for revival. His heart isn't for an outpouring. Right? We should be living in revival. We should be living in outpouring Every day i'm reminded of the israelites when they came out of egyptian bondage and god had to perform miracles where their shoes wouldn't wear off they would wake up in the morning and have manna on the ground it was supernatural it was a god outpouring he gave them a cloud to follow at day and fire at night it was really cool right But his plan wasn't for them to be in the wilderness for 40 years. His plan was for them to take the four-day journey and enter the promise where they already were in a land flowing with milk and honey that they didn't need supernatural provision by God that we would call a miracle or an outpouring. Come on, somebody. God said, I didn't, I wanted you just, this was supposed to be a pass-through. But when they begin to doubt and complain and mumble and question God and do all of these other things, what begin to happen is God said, I can't take you into the promise with a bad attitude. I can't give you what I've designed to give you when you're fighting amongst yourself and you're building idols and your heart's not really after me. So God said the whole generation has to die out, but hold on because I'm going to do something significant in the next generation and they will enter the promised land. So what I say is that as the spirit-filled church of Jesus Christ, we should not be searching for the next revival or the next outpouring. We should be living that every day. It should be commonplace place for us. The anointing dwells on the inside of us. So I didn't mean to preach so early. I know I had to lay up a little bit groundwork, but the anointing is already on the inside of us. Your Bible says that the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells mightily on the inside of you in this moment. And here we are walking around saying, why God, when God, where God, and God saying, I don't know, you tell me. It's all in your hands. Do with it what you will. I've given you a name that's above every name that at the sound of that name, every knee should bow, every spirit of depression, every spirit of anxiety, every demonic force has to bow at the mention of that name. What are you doing with it? Waiting for another move? Quit waiting on God to do what he already told you to do. Don't you remember before he was ascended up into heaven, he looked at his disciples and he said, you go into all the world, preach the gospel Make disciples of all nations. Light this thing up. And the early church did that. The Bible says that they went into the cities and they literally turned the cities upside down because it wasn't something that they were waiting on. It was something they lived in. Peter and John going to pray, there was a lame man at the temple gate, had been there a long time, and he said, hey, listen, can you, can you give us me some money? And Peter and John said, we don't have money, but what I have, I'll give you. Get up and walk. Healing flowed from him. And the man got up, walked, leapt, and rejoiced. Such as I have. In the church today, we would say, well, let's get you to Asbury. Let's get you to Bethel in California. Let's, let's go where the miracles are. And God's saying, I've already put it on the inside of you. All right. He's no respecter of persons. He doesn't reserve this for one person group and say, well, you can't have it. He's no respecter. So that was point number one, is we already experienced as a spirit-filled church, this is, should be every day for us. This should be every day. And number two, it started with blank. Jen led us in a devotional this morning as a worship team came to practice and she her devotional was kind of gathered around this and she said something funny. She said, you know, I've been watching it all week and I wanted to see, you know, what, what were they singing? What were they doing when it broke out? And she made a joke and said, I want to know what they were wearing. You know, like what's the formula here? What's the pattern? Really, if you go back and, and watch how it started is the day before the speaker preached on repentance, that day the... Next speaker preached about following a cloud at the conclusion of it, one young man stood up and began to repent in front of everyone of what God was dealing with him, and then that just never stopped. So how it began was one young man standing up and repenting, and it lit fires that have spread around the globe. Go with me to 2 Chronicles 7.14 because there's nothing new under the sun. There's no new wave of doctrine. There's no secret formula. Let, let's wear what they wore. Let's do what they did. Let's try to figure out what they had so we can duplicate it. There's, there's none of that. 2 Chronicles 7.14. Here's the formula. Are you ready? If my people, Who? My people, come on, preach with me. I'm an audience participation preacher. If my people, so no, no, no. We need the government to bring legislation in order to make the world look like the church so that we can feel comfortable in our own skin. No, no, no. He didn't say if the government gets in line. He said if my people who are called by my name humble themselves. Well, we don't like to talk about humility because, you know, who wants that? and pray. Well, you know, I don't really have time to come to prayer meetings, and I don't have time, but let's not talk about that. And seek my face, and turn, it's another word for repent, turn from their wicked ways. Here's the God's response. Then, then I will hear from heaven. And forgive their sin and heal their land. Can I just submit to you that we have a generation in our church right now who wants the fire but they don't want the altar. And God says you don't get the fire without the altar first. If you will hear, if you will pray, if you will humble yourselves, if you will repent, then I will be faithful to my word and respond with fire. So what we like to do, instead of building our own altars and calling our own fire from heaven, we look around for somebody else's altar that's burning and we try to run and get warm off of their flames. I shouldn't have to go to Asbury to encounter a supernatural outpouring of God. I should be able to walk into my bedroom, lift my voice and lift my hands and feel the presence of God surround me. My Sunday morning worship experience should be in altars flooded with people hungry and on fire for the things of God. That should be my normal. But because I don't want to do humbling and because i don't want to pray and because i don't want to repent of my sin i want to keep doing what i'm doing it's easier for me to find somebody else who met the criteria and gather around their fires okay we want the miracle but we won't don't want to carry the mantle so church people why not my church well, you know, if our leadership was different, we'd have, we'd have an outpouring. If he preached like they preached, if they sang like they sing, Well, if you repent like they repented. Okay. <laughs> if you're visiting today, I'm sorry. It's not always this intense. I apologize. But I've got something on the inside of me that I got to get out, and it just is what it is. Come back next week, and I'll be a lot nicer. <laughs> but do you see what we do? We push the blame. Well, if if, if they sing more Holy Ghost fire songs, we'd get something. If they sang this way, or Pastor, you know, he preached us right, we'd get something. While you're sitting there in your judgmental, sinful attitude, stopping the fire of God from coming down. Come on, somebody. So you always have to remind yourself, this thing is all about me. I can walk around like a burning torch, even if everybody's cold as ice around me. I don't need you to be in agreement for God to visit me. I don't need you to fan the flames. That's great if you get some brothers and sisters who will fan the flames. But I can have revival all by myself. I was telling Sarah the other day, I'll never forget, I was 16 years old. I was struggling with depression. I had massive thoughts of, of suicide. I was, you know, really going through a difficult time. I was born and raised in the church. And, you know, but we were part of a church who maybe the world would categorize as a very prophetic church. And some of the teaching around that time was very much, well with me. And there's a demon around every corner. And, you know, it wasn't really breaking me free of every, anything. But I'll never forget sitting in my mother's living room turning the television channels there's a man breaking swords over his knee, shouting, no weapon formed against you will prosper. That man happened to be my pastor, Pastor Rod Parsley. And uh, I said, I got to go there. I have to go there. So I got my mom. We got in the car, drove to Ohio, my first like out-of-state trip. And I will never forget, it started something in me. But I I was telling Sarah the other day, I came across a a song on my my playlist. I've been doing this really random thing where I just put on like all the songs and just hit random and you just forget what's in your playlist. So it's kind of a fun thing to do. That's what I've been doing. Anyway, one of these songs came on and instantly took me back to that time because I came back from that conference with a cassette tape. If you don't know what that is, (laughs) just pretend like you do because I don't want to feel that old. But a cassette tape. And as I begin to hear those songs again, I will never forget that feeling. Of the fire of God burning on the inside. I remember sitting in the parking lot outside of my job saying, God, I don't ever want to lose this. And there have been seasons I've had to fan the flames. There have been dry seasons. Sometimes where's God in this season? But all I gotta do is press back into God. Come on. So we want to cuddle up to everybody else's fire instead of creating one our own. So what is this revival or this outpouring. Again, we're using a lot of church words, fire, and obviously there's no fire coming out of the ceiling. So what do we mean by all of this? What it really is, is a manifestation of the anointing of God. And here's where I want to hang around today. A manifestation of the anointing of God. Everybody say anointing. So what is anointing? It is the manifest presence of God. Now God's obviously in heaven on the throne. The Bible says that Jesus is at his right hand interceding for the church, but he released into the earth. And he said this, he said, I'll go away and I'll send you a helper. I'll send you the Holy one. I'll send you the Holy spirit. So even though God, the father is on the throne, Jesus, the son is at his right hand. They have released into the earth, their spirit, if you will, the spirit of God. And the Spirit's everywhere. He's all-knowing. He's all-present. But sometimes it, he will manifest himself where it's like, I can feel that. I can feel that. You know, and sometimes the world looks at the church and be like, oh, that's weird. I don't know people say that's weird. But nobody thinks it's weird if you talk about it in the form of a ghost. We were just talking about that yesterday. Like, oh, that house is haunted. Do you feel that? That's common. Right? Like, the world doesn't care about that. But when the Holy Spirit begins to manifest Himself, and we begin to feel it, they think that's weird. Anyway, moving on. So really, it's when the Holy Spirit begins to manifest Himself in a way that we can feel Him tangibly, and He brings His anointing. The Bible clarifies the anointing as the burden-removing, yoke-destroying power of God. So when the holy spirit starts moving in that way and starts revealing himself in that way and you can feel it and you know it begins to manifest it's bringing with it the ability to remove your burden and destroy your yoke means those things that wouldn't be of god come on depression anxiety whatever that is like whatever's plaguing you that's not of god i grew up in a charismatic spirit-filled church And I'll never forget the first time I felt that thing back in the day. We used to use those old school projectors. Anybody old enough to remember that? And it was the ministry of the church. If you got on projection team and it was the most high pressure job in the world. Now, if you were uh, like a normal type of church where you sang like the first three hymns and everyone had their book, like you're great. I was in a charismatic church. So they would jump song to song to song for 45 minutes to an hour. None of them planned. They would just start a new course. And you had to know that title. And you had to get in that box and find that thing while the entire church was looking at you, sitting right up here, waiting for the lyrics. High pressure. High pressure. Well, I got on team. I hated it because it was so nerve-wracking. But I'll never forget the first time I experienced it. I was sitting doing projection and all of a sudden, this feeling came, and I didn't know what it was. But I always knew anytime time it came, a baby would start crying randomly in the sanctuary somewhere, and I would get irritated because it's like, that feeling's here. And I must have been eight years old, didn't know it was the presence of God, that when God's people would come together and sing and worship, the Bible says he would always respond with his presence. So I did the only thing I knew to do. I got my keyboard. I didn't even know how to play the piano. So I never turned the thing on. But I would duplicate what the worship pastor was doing when that feeling came. And I'd stand there and I'd hit the keys singing the song, not turned on. And I would sing and I would sing and I would sing until that feeling came. What was the feeling? It was the presence of God. I've been chasing that thing ever since. I've been chasing it ever since. And maybe you were a part of an environment like that growing up, and maybe you were a part of a completely different environment, and a lot of that stuff seemed weird. And I will say, in the midst of a lot of that stuff, there's a lot of weird things that happen. Why? Because people are weird sometimes, and people will abuse the things of the Spirit sometimes. And, you know, sometimes people just like the goosebumps and like, you know, whatever. But we'll move on from that. But I... I'm unashamedly charismatic, and I'm always going to believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because I see it in the Bible. I see that the Holy Spirit's real in the Bible. I've experienced him. Come on, a man with an, exper- excuse me, a man with an argument is always at the mercy of a man with an experience. Your, ex- your argument doesn't trump my experience. Come on, somebody. It's like those armchair football players that are like, you know, massively, like, overweight and, you know, can't get up a flight of steps yelling at the quarterback of what they're doing wrong. Your argument doesn't trump his experience. All right, that didn't go over well, but we're going to move on. <laughs> Trying to make it light in between the heavy. So I've experienced him. I've seen it in scripture. So I will always contend for prophecy, contend for the gifts of the spirit. But there are times where people just over-spiritualize things. Right? Right? Sometimes it's just like, well, it's not that hard and it's not that weird. So how do we measure the anointing? How do we measure a move of God or the manifestation of the Spirit? What is it? You know, who's it from? I want to look at the life of Jesus really quick because Jesus actually had to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You mean the Son of God couldn't do anything without the Holy Spirit? Yep. So Bible says that Jesus was baptized by John, the heavens opened, the dove came down and the voice of the father said, this is my son and who I'm well pleased. And the Bible says that the spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit, led Jesus into the wilderness where he was tempted. But then the whole angels came and ministered to him and he received power and was refreshed. And when he comes out of that experience, we find him in Isaiah 61 or excuse me, we find him in the temple and he's reading a verse of scripture in the temple that was found in Isaiah 61. So I want to read that really quick. So this was a prophecy of the coming Messiah of Jesus. So Jesus walks into the temple after being anointed with the Holy Spirit. He's not really done anything incredible yet. He hasn't raised dead men. He hasn't opened blinded eyes. But listen to what he reads. He says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed. He has anointed. Everybody say anointed. Anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of prison to those who are bound. Again, that burden removing, yoke destroying power of God. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God to all who mourn. To grant those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning. These are great things, right? The garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they might be called oaks of righteousness, the planning of the Lord, that he might be glorified. They shall build up ancient ruins. They shall raise up former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. So it's saying that the Spirit of the Lord, the anointing of God, came upon Jesus for this reason. After this, we find Jesus in the peak of his ministry. Peak performance, if you will. He goes around healing the sick and raising the dead and offending the religious and doing all that he did. Why? Because the anointing, the Holy Spirit, came upon him for a purpose. I want to submit this because here's where sometimes the church, especially charismatics, get off. That all we want is a healing and another miracle. But can I tell you that the end goal isn't healing? Everyone that Jesus healed still died, eventually. Did a sign, he did a wonder, to show people he's alive, this is happening, the spirit of God's on the earth, but everybody still died. That's why we don't, I mean, we we should search for healing and belief for it, it's God's bread to us, it's his gift, it's promised through scripture, but it's not the ultimate. Salvation is the ultimate, because at that moment that you will still eventually die, that will determine where you spend your eternity. So the Holy Spirit's moving, people, you know, blind eyes are being opened. But I really want us to look at what the Holy Spirit wants to do here, especially in the New Testament. There's regeneration and there's adoption. Regeneration and adoption. Regeneration is the work of bringing people to know the Lord. Adoption, or another word, sanctification, is that process of bringing people into sonship. So adoption... And sonship, two different things. So even in Paul's writings, he begins to write to the Corinthian church, who the Corinthian church was really a dumpster fire of a church. They had a lot of problems, a lot of stuff going on, and Paul's like, you know, there was 1 Corinthians and Second Corinthians. And if you got two letters that made it into the Bible, you had some issues, right? So, but the real point is that though they were a gifted church, the Holy Spirit wasn't getting to do the adoption bit. And the Holy Spirit wasn't getting to do the regeneration bit. Even though, through Paul's writings, he says, listen, this is a highly gifted church. Many spiritual gifts in operation, but there's still a dumpster fire. How many of you know, you can have gifts and be a dumpster fire? So, gifting doesn't necessarily accomplish what the anointing accomplishes. Gifting does not accomplish what the anointing accomplishes. The gift is from God. The anointing is from God, but they both have to be stewarded well. A gifting can become corrupted. The Bible says that your gifts are without repentance. You know what that means? It means they were given to you at birth. You're gifted as a singer, you're always going to be gifted as a singer. You're gifted as a carpenter. You're always going to be gifted as a carpenter. It's a natural, God-given gifting. And can I say, a gifting is very similar to an anointing, but different. It is something endowed by God for on you that you can do extremely well. Some people are talkers. Some people are introverts, and they don't have that gifting. Right, So we all have our own set of giftings that we bring to the table that was God-given. But gifting is not anointing. And that's what I want us to really see today. Gifting is not anointing. Gifting can be corrupted. You can sell your gift. You can serve the devil with your gift. You can use your gift for sinful means. But the anointing will always accomplish the will of the Father. The anointing can't be corrupted. Because the anointing accomplishes what the Father sent it to do. I can use my gifting to accomplish my will. I want to attract a bigger crowd. I want people to shout back at me. I, you know, I, I want to be known. I want to be famous. I can use my giftings to do that. I can use my giftings to, to get money and to, you know, be popular. I can figure out how to use my gift set to accomplish my own will. And here's where the church gets very confused. Is we will see someone who is gifted and can make us feel something. Many of you know I like country music and if you don't, I'll pray for you, but you don't gotta pray for me, I'm already good. Sarah and I went to, maybe I shouldn't talk about this during repentance, but we were sanctified through the whole thing. But we went to, the final Judd's concert, which was only half the Judd's because unfortunately the mom passed, but we went to see Wynona Judd. It's good for us. And I felt some things. When you got, you know, thousands of people singing, Wynona's hitting the note, and she's one of those singers that it's like, you know, sometimes when you hear them live, you're like, okay. They were gifted in looks and, you know, media just said, hey, we'll, we'll make you gifted with autotune as well. She's not one of those people. So she hits the high note, and you are feeling it. It's a moment. It's an experience. But that's not anointing. A gifting can move people, but a gifting won't change people. So the church finds somebody who can hit the note that's flashy enough, that's charismatic enough, and we look at them and say, Lead us, lead us. You make me feel something. And they do. But we don't change. Because gifting does not equal anointing. However, some of the most anointed people that I've heard, and I'm using music as an example, but really any gifting has an anointing with them. We'll talk about that in a minute. But some of the most anointed services I've been in have quite often been led by some of the worst singers I've ever heard. One of the most anointed times was, was at Pastor Parsley's church listening to Judy Jacobs. And I don't know if you ever heard of Judy Jacobs. She's an old school singer. But she has this raspy voice. It wouldn't do anything for anybody in secular world. But I, can I tell you, heaven opened over that place. And I left changed. Why? Because... The gifting made some space, but because she walked right before God, he took his anointing and put it on the gifting. So now, if I'm in the presence of the anointing, I'm not just being moved in my flesh, but I'm being changed in my spirit. So I can have two people stand on a platform, both sing the same songs. One is incredibly gifted. And can get you on your feet quick. But the other one can maybe not hit every note right, but there's an anointing on him. And it just is different. It breaks something. It opens something. People are, begin to cry and they begin to weep. And, they, you know, and it's not fleshly. It's God doing something on the inside. So what we have to be careful of, church, is that we understand what the anointing is. And that we pursue the anointing and not simply the gifting. So what's revival anyway? What's an outpouring? The purpose. Everybody wants revival? The purpose is to lead us into repentance. That will bring maturity. I don't like to talk about it, but everybody I hear on the news or posting about what they've seen and experienced, majority of them are just saying their people are repenting everywhere. They're crying and asking for forgiveness of sin. Again, I can do that in my living room. So we want revival fire? Get ready to change your life. We want a manifestation of the Holy Spirit and outpouring? Are you ready to throw some stuff out of your house that don't belong there? Are you ready to finally change your tongue and what you've been saying and the sin that you've been living with. Because if you're not, then don't be asking for a revival. Don't be asking for fire. It leads us to repentance that brings maturity. We are a son of God at salvation, but we become a son at growth. You with me? I have two sons. One's seven and one's like eight months. I say like eight months, I always have to look at my wife. Somebody asked me the other day, how old is he? And I'm like, oh my God, I don't know. I went to the doctor's office and maybe this is just a guy thing and maybe it's just a me thing, I don't know. I remember the first one's birthday and the second one's because it's close to Sarah's and I I made sure I remembered Sarah's, like drilled in my mind because you never want to forget that, man. But they asked me what the third one's birthday is. And I pulled out my phone, Sarah, what's her birth date? Like, quick, quick. And the lady looked at me and she said, you are the parent, right? <laughs> I had to put my head down in shame. Yes, I am. <laughs> anyway, I still, So anyway, she had to send me a little text message that I saved the picture of all the birthdays, so I'm good now. But anyway, my point is, what well, I said all that to say is, my younger son is in diapers. So... He poops himself. A lot. (laughs) It's a mess. And I pray to God that he does it on Sarah's watch. My older son, who's seven, doesn't poop himself. But he has some chores. He lets the dog out. He cleans up his plate from the table. He brings his laundry down, and he makes his bed. And as a result of that, We give him an allowance. We give him video games. He gets reward. Now, my younger son doesn't get any of that because we don't have high expectation for him to do anything else but eat, sleep, poop. Sometimes the order is reversed, and I get all confused. Both are sons. But one is becoming a son because he's growing. He's retaining more. He's watching what we do and he's duplicating what we do so that he can eventually become an active, grown, mature adult. Are you with me? Both are sons by name. The church is full of adopted people, but how many are becoming sons of God? We're still running around in our diapers. God send revival. Make me feel something. The purpose of revival is to bring repentance and make us grow. Well, no, I don't want to do any of that stuff. I don't have to bring my laundry down. I don't have to let the dog out. I don't want to be required of anything. I don't have to love people when I don't feel like loving. I don't want to tell everybody what I think because that's my right. Great. Do it. Your choice. Do you understand? But Paul said that. I need to feed you with The word, I need to feed you with meat, but all you want is milk. Again, I apologize that it's heavier today. So as you become more like the father, then the father brings and gives you more authority and ability. Revival brings repentance. Repentance brings growth and change. That's what the anointing is. It's something that is imparted to people on a spiritual level that brings spiritual wisdom for somebody else. Spiritual wisdom for somebody else. You can be an architect. Not a singer, not on a platform in a church, but an architect and build buildings. But you can have words of wisdom and you can have strategies from heaven and you can bring uh, corporate and individual growth and maturity because there's uh, an anointing, not just a gifting on your life. There are some people in our church that I'll call for different things. We have problems with the screen. I know who to call. Why? Because some of us have wisdom and it'll take us like five years to figure it out. But somebody else in the building, and I'm speaking to Marianne back there today because we had some problems last week and she came in and like in two seconds was like, there, it's done. And I always, and I bring that up to say this, is that she didn't know anything about it, but there's an anointing on her for that stuff. It's like, if you have a problem, I'm, I don't everyone to into her after church, like <laughs> fix all this for me. But certain people are like that. They did, there's an anointing on their life for certain things. And it just works. You can be a parking lot attendant and say hi to somebody. And the smile that you have breaks something on the inside of somebody. Why hundred people have smiled, but you have an anointing on your life. And that anointing made the difference. Are you understanding what I'm saying today? Yes. Don't just stop at gifting. Go after anointing. Don't just settle for, well, this is, go after anointing. It makes the difference. It brings the impact. Let's not just have good church services. Let's have anointed church services. I don't want people to come and leave and we're all the same because we could all have done something better with our time. We could be out boating right now, not right now, but, you know, in the summertime. We could be doing whatever we want to do. I don't have to worry about any of this. But there's something that happens when God's people come together. There actually are two types of anointing. One is a corporate anointing. The Bible says that when my brethren dwell together in unity, he releases the blessing over them. That's a scripture. When we come together and we're in unity, and that's why you know, we sing songs. Why? It's the one time that we're all saying the same thing. You know, there's power in that. Actually, the Bible says at the Tower of Babel, they were all had one mind to build that tower. And God said because they were in unity, he had to come down and disrupt their language or they would have built the tower to heaven. That's a lesson. And that's why, you know, sometimes, you know, People will make fun of a church song. Says the same chorus twenty times. Yeah, because it's that one time we're all in a room and we're all saying, "How great is our God? How great is our God? How great is our God? How great?" We're in unity, declaring something. And the Bible says when we do that, He releases a special corporate blessing over the house. One can put a thousand to flight. Two, the Bible says, can put ten thousand angels to fly. So there's something about when we're struggling and we're trying to break free, and there's a burden on my shoulders and I can't get it off. I of mean, there's something about when we. Come together in the house of God and we're all saying the same thing and declaring the same thing and believing the same thing and my faith is joining your faith that something breaks off of an individual and that doesn't have to be at a revival on the other side of the state somewhere it can happen today in this room if we get together there's a corporate anointing which comes from what we all individually bring what we bring collectively where the grapes are, that's where the wine is, right? Team, you can come. Revival is a continual life of repentance. The more we repent, the more we get right with God, the more we turn from our sin, the more manifested the anointing becomes on the individual I'm not saying that you know oh well then you have no sin no but I am saying to the degree that we walk closely with God is the degree that the anointing is manifested in our lives and we don't know the difference sometimes because well we're still gifted but remember the anointing breaks the yoke the anointing makes the difference A gift can fill a room. A gift can entertain a crowd. A gift can stir people up. But Isaiah 10, 27, and I made reference to this, but says, it shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from his shoulder and his yoke off of his neck. For the yoke shall be destroyed. Everybody say destroyed. Destroyed. If something's destroyed, it can't be put back together. One way that we get anointing, and that's through crushing, through repentance, through walking through things. We have to become effective. Sometimes after a conference, I remember a few years ago, Elevation Worship came to Reading and a group of people from our church went. After that conference, somebody came up to me and said, Pastor, it was so good. And the guy had talked about worshiping and how we practice in the presence of God. How like when they practice their songs, they still worship. I think our team should do that. Now, what I wanted to say is get thee behind me, Satan. But I just smiled. The reason is this person barely came to church. Barely was present. And when they were, they brought with them all kinds of problems and complaints. And I wanted to say, yeah, we do that week in and week out while you're not here. <laughs> know so get on board but i say that to say it's sometimes we can come from an experience like that fired up and we want to run and we want to put it on the church's shoulders why don't we why don't we let's have a revival why don't we let's have a revival let's see a move of god but you know it's not my job to bring a revival to our church it wasn't the dean of the school who stood up and said hey revival time wasn't the worship leader who announced hey make sure you lift your hands extra high today revival's here It was one student who stood up and said I'm wrong before God and I gotta make it right and it opened the heavens and revival came so to every person who wants to say pastor let's have a revival I want to look back at you and say let's have a repent before God. Let's get back to some of the old school preaching who says, God, convict me of sin. Get it out of me. Break me, God. Pastor Jason took us recently through, if you watch chapel services on, on Tuesdays, he took us through some of the psalms and one of the things he brought out is the majority of the psalms are psalms of lament of David crying in his brokenness before God. We know Psalm 91. Thousands shall fall on my left hand, 10,000 at my right. But two-thirds of David's writings were David saying, God, break me. God, I'm broken. My sin has pulled me from you. My sin, disgusts me. Draw me close to you. Pull your judgment from me, God. Save me. I think we need to get back to that type of preaching again. Do you agree? Last scripture. You can stand on your feet. Psalms 24.3. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who gets to experience more of God? Who? Yeah. Not everybody. You know, we say in this world, we have to be inclusive. Everybody gets to go. Everybody gets an where. You know, Christianity isn't inclusive. It's actually exclusive. Those who call upon my name will be saved. There's a requirement there. You don't just get saved because, well, God's love. No, you got to choose this thing. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Well, in our modern day culture, we'd say, well, everybody should get to go. nobody should be left out. It's not fair. It's not how God talks shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? Here's who. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not lift his soul up to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. It's exclusive. It's inclusive that everybody gets the same opportunity. Exclusive in that only those who choose get to go. I'm not saying this morning that you have to be perfect because none of us will be perfect until we are raptured or out of this place or die by death. But I'm saying there has to be a heart desire for the more of God and the less of me that we would just again, I just want to sing this chorus and then I'll we would again get back to this place where this kind of stuff would be our prayer
1: Lord prepare me to be a sanctuary pure and holy.
0: would break apart every burden and every yoke. That every sin that so easily beset us will be forever put behind us and that we will never struggle in that area again. Never tormented again. Because what you break is destroyed forever. This isn't self-help. This is the anointing would you speak to us in that way today and you can be dismissed if you need to be dismissed I just want to take a moment people drive 20 hours and wait outside for 8-9 hours to get inside of revival but church is getting close to overtime and we get antsy just take a moment, let God do something I'll save you the gas money pray that today this word this message resonated with, resonated with you that you can look at things that God's doing the little breaks in the wall like the outpouring at Asbury and have hope God hasn't lost America, revival's coming brings us hope but that you could look at things like Asbury and realize like the prodigal son, you remember when he came back and a son who never left, got angry, that said, how come you threw a party for him? And the father looked at the son who had been home the whole time and said, you could have had this any time, is that we would see things like the outpouring at Asbury, and if God leads you to go, then go, honey, soak it up, it's good. But realize that we've been in the house the entire time, and we can get it anytime time we the altars are open. Heaven is open in this place. You don't got to wait. You can be driving in the car and have heaven invade you and pull off the road with tears running down your face and have a revival with you and God all by your lonesome. You can stand in the shower and lift up your voice to God as raspy and off key as it is and God will respond to you and he'll fill that place with his anointing and his power and the, the weights will break off of your life. You have been in the house the entire time. Amen?
1: Come on, you can do better than that. Amen? Amen.